Um, so verse 28 and 29 of Romans 2 kind of summarizes chapter 2. So we'll do that because chapter 3 builds on it. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So in, in chapter 2, the explanation of everyone is saved by grace and not of works. And for the Jews, hello Silas, we're in Romans 3 tonight. Um, and so verse 25 says this of chapter 2, circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So chapter 2 establishes the fact that the, the Jews really are hanging on to the law and feeling as if if you remember in uh, the book of Acts they really wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised when they became Christian they really thought the law was more important than the grace of God and so chapter 2 was kind of a shocking lesson to them that circumcision of the heart is what matters that you can be circumcised and lost and you can be uncircumcised and saved and if you are going to rely on your works to get to heaven verse 25 it's unprofitable so then the question is asked in chapter 3 what advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision so hi Karen we're just starting chapter 3 so it's a logical question. If everybody is under the same equal rules of salvation by grace through faith, then are the Jews special anymore? You know, God's chosen people separated by Adam, by Abraham, and then circumcision is there, you know, uh, God called kind of uh, connection um, so what's the advantage why do we even do it then what is the point of it and so their question is what advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision and the answer is much in every way and if you noticed it hi guys we're in Romans 3 so the answer to the question is there's great profit in being Jewish and there's great profit even in circumcision chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God so let's ask this question what are the oracles of God what is an oracle And an oracle is the writings of God. It is the law. It is the Ten Commandments. It is what God gave to Moses. The oracles of God are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God told 
Joshua that this book of the law shall not depart from his mouth. And so that book of the law is the oracles. Um, turn, if you will, you're in Romans. Go ahead and turn to Romans 9. We're going to get to Romans 9 eventually. Um, but I want you to look at verse 4. Talking about the Israelites. It says, who are Israel? And this is, let's read verse 3. Paul says, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. So in that verse, the Israelites are still separated with, with great privilege and great honor of God because it was through the Israelites that the great promise came and that promise was Jesus Christ that was the purpose of the Israel nation of how they were set apart and I don't think there's any greater proof of the validity of the scripture than the history of Israel it absolutely uh, plays out exactly if you really think about it if you if you take Israel throughout history um, I was listening to a, a Jewish commentator a couple weeks ago and he, he was just noting the history of it of, of the nation of his nation and he was saying he says you know it, it it's it's as if God is angry at us what he said he said it's just we've had a history of 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 scuffles is what he said and if you go through it all the way back from you know the canaanites and the hittites and the babylonians and all the way to the romans and to the egyptians and go further and and today to to uh, isis or or there's been a real hatred for that little country why why has the world been so offended by the nation of Israel? Other, and unless you have the Bible, and the Bible makes perfect sense to it. It's God's chosen nation, which he chose for Christ to come through, and Satan hates it. Been trying to eliminate that nation ever since. Now, the I think the, the size of Israel is, is basically... Um, Rhode Island, a little bigger than Rhode Island, and they can't eliminate Israel. They haven't been able to take care of is that little country. It's it's the greatest evidence to me of the the Bible being absolutely true and solid. And so back in Romans three, the writer Paul is is explaining that there's still a blessings to Israel, and and the first blessing is that they were given these oracles of God. And then he speaks of the oracles of God, something very important. Verse 3 and 4 are probably the key verses tonight. For what if some did not believe? Good question. Did not believe what? The oracles of God. So, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, what if people don't believe? 
will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? No. Most of the world doesn't believe John 3.16. That doesn't make John 3.16 wrong. We don't... We spiritually don't live in a majority rules, thank God. Amen. That is not a majority rules. I do a, a, a experiment with the kids where I'll take two students and I'll deem one to be anti-gravity, that he's an anti-gravitite. He doesn't believe in gravity. The other student does believe in gravity. And then I have a big... Someone painted a nice rock. One of the kids painted a nice rock for me. And I have it on my desk. And I hold the rock over the, both of their heads. And I'll say to this person, I'm not going to drop it because he believes in gravity. And if I drop the rock, the rock will hit him. Now, Johnny over here is an anti-gravity, anti-gravitite, we call him. If I drop the rock, the rock is going to float. And then he, if, he, if it's a great... If I pick the right person, they'll say, no, Mr. Flanagan, don't. Because it doesn't matter if you believe in gravity or not. Gravity is a scientific law. It's going to fall on your head whether you believe it or not. And you will stand before God. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And just because some do not believe in this salvation by grace through faith, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Verse 4, certainly not. In other words, if people don't believe, will that make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true in every man a liar. You need to hold on to that verse. This is where our wanted kids, you've got to hold on to that. Because the world is going to lie to you. Uh, Liz and I were talking about this yesterday or I think Larry and I were talking about it Saturday about what the universities have done to many of our kids who are solid in the faith and, and we had that experience with Ryan Ryan got there and took philosophy and he took philosophy and it really messed his head up and the rest of that verse says that you may be justified in your words and may over and may overcome when you are judged. Now that is a quote from David. It's an interesting quote. It's from Psalm 51. Now if you know anything about Psalm 51, that is David's plea to God for forgiveness over his sin with Bathsheba. And he prefaced this phrase with, against you only God have I sinned, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. So God's words are it. Uh, there used to be a bumper sticker years ago. It was a long time ago. And uh, it said, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. And there's a problem with that bumper sticker. It doesn't matter if we believe it. God said it, and that settles it. So I saw one years later where it said, God said it, and had the middle thing crossed out. That settles it. It doesn't matter if we believe it. If God says it, it settles it. It does matter to us. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He's a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a 
a liar. And that's how dearly we have to hold the word of God. It is the truth. Thy word is truth. And how do we determine whether we're being lied to or not? We have to do what the Bereans did, which is go check the scriptures to make sure what you're being told is right. And so he starts chapter 3 with that premise that even though the Jews are standing against Christ, against salvation by grace, it doesn't matter what they believe for what is true. It matters to them as far as their eternal destiny. And then he says, if our righteousness, verse 5, demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? It's God unjust to inflicts wrath. I speak as a man. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm not saying I believe this. I'm saying, let's take a, an argument, a potential argument, which is, well, if, if God gave us the law to show us that we were unrighteous, then why would God punish us if, he, if, if, if we're sinners anyway? We can't help it. Is God unjust then for inflicting wrath? Can you even imagine somebody asking if God is unjust? Well, certainly not, verse 6 says. For how will God judge the world? If God is unjust, how does he stand as judge? Verse 7. If the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged as a sinner? Why not say, let us do evil, that good may come? Well, if my sin just, and, and this is, he's taking, like he says, as a man, this extreme argument that, well, if I can just do anything I want and I'm forgiven salvation by grace and works have nothing to do with it, why don't I just continue in sin? Romans 6.1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And he says the same thing here. As we are slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. He says this is a slanderous statement to say. It's a ridiculous argument that we can just keep sinning. And this becomes, uh, still we get that question today. So you say, not by work. So when, and I get this all the time. And, and one of the, the big questions is, is the question of suicide. You know, well, you know, I, I had this conversation this week with one of the teachers with the murder of the children here in LeGrand. And they came to me and said, there's no way God will ever forgive that mother, is there? Well, you have to understand salvation by grace through faith. God can forgive. And some, uh, so... Then one of the kids will say, well, can we just go do anything we want if we're Christians and still go to heaven? And the answer to that question is yes. But your want to will change if you're really a Christian. Do you see the difference? If you have Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, uh, God forbid, and I, mean, I believe that means God is just, there's no way you can do that. But in order to hold to the law, the Jews would ask this question. So you're just saying we can do anything we want and God will just forgive us our sins. Yes. That's what he's saying. What then, verse 9 says, this is really good. These next few verses, we're going to cover a lot of verses here. They're fantastic. 
and they laid out pretty clearly this idea of the sovereign grace and mercy of God. What then? Are we better than they? So now the question goes, it starts with, well, what advantage has the Jew? You have lots of advantages. The oracles of God, the blessings of God. Well then, are we better than everybody? No. We have previously charged both Jews and Greeks. They are all under sin. All have sin. We talked about this this morning. And so now he is going to, in the next uh, 10 verses or so, he's going to be quoting from Psalm 14 and from Psalm 53. And even the Old Testament lays this out. There is none righteous. No, not one. All right? And any of you in here, I don't think anybody in here thinks they're perfectly holy righteous. We know we have sin. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. In the sovereignty of God, in which God calls Paul a chosen vessel, we're going to see this uh, this coming Sunday when we talk about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, that God says, you were kicking against the goads. The Bible says, no one comes to me unless my father draws him. We saw the beautiful picture of the Ethiopian today being drawn to Jerusalem to worship. And any person that is interested in the salvation of Jesus Christ is being drawn by God because no one seeks after God but God leaves the 99 to find that lost sheep his sheep hear his voice and they know him and they follow him verse 12 says they have all turned aside they have all together become unprofitable there is none who does good not one their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lip, whose mouth is full of cursings. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We do not have a natural fear of God. And and. We see the world, we see the, the picture of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see our nation just falling further and further away from God, and they get, I don't know the technical terms, looney tunes, I don't even know how you would say it, but we, we lose so much common sense and morality as we get farther and farther away from God, and God shows us the depravity of man. What does God say about our flesh? In our flesh dwells what? No good thing. And the, you know, people are always wanting equality and equal. This pressed group wants to be equal with this group over here. In the gospel of Christ, it's complete equality all across the board. Jews, Gentiles, circumcised, uncircumcised, skin color, nationality, language. Everybody is equally what? A sinner. We're all the same. And everyone equally needs Jesus Christ as the only way to have that sin taken care of. And every single human being, doesn't matter what their money status is, their, their language status, every single person who calls out to whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. There's nothing more equal. 
than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's incredible. But we have to realize we're all sinners, and so much of this world doesn't want to come face to face with their own sin. Now we know, verse 19, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And this is the real purpose of the law. God gave the oracles of God, the laws of God, the direction of God, the laws of Moses, all through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And you've got to keep those laws. And how many of them do you have to keep? All of them. And if you are guilty of one, you are all automatically deemed guilty of them all. And so the law teaches us something. What does it teach us in verse 19? That we're all guilty. And so what the, the Pharisees are wanting to do is they want to keep their nation under the rules of the law. And the rules of the law were put there to show us we are failures and we need Christ. And once you know that, why do you want to come back under that law that didn't work? Look at verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. They're misunderstanding the law. If they think the law is the path to heaven. No, the law is the path to Christ. It's the path that teaches us on our own we are in trouble. Turn, if you will, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. While Romans uses some pretty deep um, language and, and deep writing, uh, Galatians 3 teaches us the same principle, but I think it's a little bit simpler. Verse 21 of Galatians 3. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 3 of Galatians, it starts with, O foolish Galatians. So they're turning away from Christ, going back to the law. That's the premise of this chapter. Verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. You see, God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. But it didn't please God. I, I know, and in, in, don't get me wrong, I know Isaiah teaches that, that it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God that he could save us. But if there was a law, this verse is really important. If there was a law that could have given us righteousness, then, then God would have given that law. Now you might say, yeah, but there's so many. It would have been nice if, if God would have put us in a place where we only had like one law. You know, like maybe like just don't, maybe he gave us everything we wanted except for one tree we weren't allowed to eat from. I mean, it would have been so much easier. It would have been so, much, so easy just to keep that one law. 
And that was their only law, wasn't it? That was long before the oracles of God and Moses. And it was just simply, walk with me, talk with me, enjoy everything. Animals are great. You pet them and talk to them. And, and Adam names them. And then, just don't eat this tree over here. Couldn't handle the one law. Why not? How could they not have handled it? And why would God even put the tree there? What was the name of the tree? Knowledge of good and evil. Well, they had plenty of knowledge of good. So all the tree did was give them a knowledge of evil. And it was important. God stuck the serpent right in there to make sure mankind knew that even in the pristine garden, they still had sin in their flesh that needed to be taken care of. Look at verse 22 of Galatians 3. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor or school teacher to bring us to Christ. I love that verse so much. It explains perfectly that before faith in Christ, we are under the rules of the law. And under the rules of the law, this is why when, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you compare that to other religions, it's very offensive to people. Well, what makes Jesus the way? What about Buddha? What about Muhammad? What about... Well, they were not the Son of God who in His perfect, sinless, uh, uh, God incarnate flesh, born of a virgin so He doesn't inherit the sin of, of Adam, that He in His perfect uh, uh, God could die for us in our place because He doesn't owe death to God for His sin because He has no sin. It's the only way that it, it... So all these other religions, by the way, have a sense of workspace to them, don't they? And that work is... You're constantly failing. And so Jesus is the only way because he's the only way. Verse 24, Therefore the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. Verse 25, But after faith has come, we no longer under the tutor... Ooh, thank God I am no longer under a law that I continue to break. How about you? Ever broken a law? How about God saying, you know, if you hate someone, you've committed murder. If you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. What is he trying to show us by those comments? That we're still flesh. But thank God that we are justified in Christ. We'll see that next week. Let's go back to Romans 3. So the law put in place the oracles of God showing us that we need Christ. It was our teacher and taught us a great lesson. So in verse 21 of Romans 3, let's look at Jesus apart from the law. So now let's take us to the other side of this. But now the law's done away with, don't need the tutor anymore, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even, verse 22 of Romans 3, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. 
There is no difference. Just like we're all equally sinners, we are also all equally saved by faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. To all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's the verse we quote all the time. Part of the Romans road. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So that word justified is, is a fancy word that simply means that when you become a Christian, God sees me, John Flanagan, just as if I'd never sinned. That is my position in Christ. Now, I am a sinner. I still fail. I am not, I'm not a, a, a teacher of that once you're saved you have sinless perfection. No. I am being sanctified. I'm being more like Christ. And when I'm in heaven, I'll have my glorified body. And then I'll be sinless. But now, God sees me through the, the, the lens of his son whose blood has washed me white as snow. My sins are as far as the east is from the west. I am justified freely through the redemption. And what does redemption mean? The word, you know what redemption means? Bought back. All right. We, we, sometimes we take our cans to a redemption center and they buy our cans back. Well, we were once a human race walking with God in the garden. But when we sin... The first thing Adam did was separate himself from God. And sin separates us from God. That's what death means. But just like, the, if you, I would encourage you this week to read Hosea again. Hosea is a great little book of the picture of God's love in which Hosea was commanded by God to marry a harlot. And the harlot, uh, Gomer, left him. And what did he do? He purchased her back. And it's a picture of what God did with us. We have played the harlot with the world. And through Christ we were bought back. Ah, beautiful picture. Whom God set forth, verse 25, as a propitiation by his blood through faith. That word propitiation means it met every requirement. The death of Jesus Christ took every requirement. So we don't add to it. So it's not salvation plus baptism or salvation plus going to church or salvation plus works. His propitiation means the death and 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 sacrifice of Jesus Christ completely paid the price that was due by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed amen amen God has completely passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Woo, that's a good verse right there. Not only does God have just, in other words, he has every right to do this because he's God, and he is the justifier. So you do not decide whether or not, you know, this, this thing that we do as Christians and well, I don't know if that person's really truly a Christian. Well, he says he's a Christian, but I don't think he's a real Christian. Well, yeah, she doesn't go to church, but I think she's a Christian. Well, I know he sings really awful, dirty songs, but he said he's a Christian. And we start lab putting them. We don't do that. We are not the judge 
and jury. It's only God. We are only going to stand before him. He is the justifier. And only God has the right and the, the, the power and the, the, the holiness to deem any of us justified. And if you look at that verse, who is justified in verse 26? Those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe what the Bible says about him? Do you believe that he is Lord and that he's risen from the dead? Romans 10, 9. So where is boasting then? Verse 27. It is excluded. Why is boasting excluded? Because there's none righteous. There's none that seeks after God. There's none that doeth good. And Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sins have left a crimson stain, be made of white as snow. We can't, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no boasting. It's all Jesus Christ. And early in my Christian walk, there, there was a little boasting. A little, you know, we're better than them, and we're better than them, and I'm doing this. And, and it's just not, there's no. By what law? Of works, what have we done to earn our salvation? If we continue to still sin, and God sees us as if we're justified, then we have nothing to boast at all. It's, it's it's just incredible what God has done. And once we get to that point of of realizing that n this is completely sovereignty driven, that God gets all the praise and all the glory. You really fall in love with them. I just, I'm so grateful. It's so undeserved. The minute we think we've earned our salvation, then we start to boast and we get arrogant in it. And we don't need God anymore because we are. Here's the other beautiful part about it. If I did nothing to earn it, I cannot do anything to have it taken away. I'm sealed to the day of redemption. It's incredible. Therefore, Verse 28, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That's the conclusion. That's the conclusion of chapter 2 and chapter 3. And these are the verses that brought forth the Reformation under Martin Luther. That he read these verses as he was a scribe and transcribing these from Latin to English and whatever how he was doing it, it just brought him to this point of because of, it wasn't taught to him until he read the scriptures for himself. And it's amazing that this teaching that you are justified by faith apart from the law is still fought against today. Even though this book of Romans is so clear on this. It's always been Jesus. It's always going to be Jesus. It's nothing but Jesus. Or is he the God, verse 29, of the Jews only? Is he also, is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, verse 30. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. The law is good. The law is right. And the law teaches us that we're not right. If, if we say we are good, 
then that's when we are dismissing the law. Because the law says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. And then we're over here, a bunch of lying thieves, <laughs> saying, oh, no, we're saved by the law. No, you, you disrespect the law. But once you say, I am a breaker of the law, then we admit the law is right. You see how that works? And if the law is right, then I need Jesus. And it drives me to Christ. And they work beautifully hand in hand. But only one can save you. And it's not the law. Salvation by grace through faith is the only way. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, there's one mediator between man and God. It, it's not an arrogant statement that Christianity is better than other religions. Christianity isn't even a thing. Christ is a thing. Christ is the way to heaven for all mankind. And every other teaching is just Satan's way of deceiving, distracting, and destroying lives. Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for salvation by grace through faith. Lord, it's simpler than we make it, but too immense to even understand. We thank you for it, that, Lord, we have loved ones, that if you would just draw them to you, open their eyes to this beautiful, amazing truth that they can have their sins completely blotted out through faith in you. Lord, help us to do the work of the evangelists and share this message with others. In Jesus' name, we thank you and praise you. Amen.